0: In this week's episode, supervillain armies can be beaten with the power of friendship, but nightmares can only be beaten with violence. Confused? Don't be. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B,
1: the podcast where at least one of your hosts is a quirked up white boy with a little bit of swag, busting it down comic book style, and the other host is T. Hi T. Hey.
0: (laughs) Hey. told i got like a cool hip fresh intro i didn't come prepare uh one of your podcast hosts are
1: you goaded with the sauce tea
0: yeah i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> i'm not hip enough to be a podcaster
1: <laughs> well that's gonna do it for us thank you for listening to Cover hello everyone i hope you're having a good week so far, yes. I hope you have weekend plans and that they will be fun. We are going to talk to you about some new comics this week. You know Sit it. back, relax, enjoy, switch on, switch off, tune out, and explode. Are we ready? First up. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the Across the Universe soundtrack recently. So,
0: Oh, okay. Now that's valid. Eddie
1: Izzard's performance in f- being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is... Top-notch. Top-notch chef's kiss. Uh. So. true. Anyway, it's been on my mind. It's valid. <laughs> so that's where we are. <laughs> Starting from Image, <clears throat> Slumber, number one, written by Tyler Burton Smith with art by Vanessa Cardinale. This sees a... Uh, we open with a pair of detectives that are working on a case known as the sleepwalk killer uh, where multiple bodies have been found from multiple different assailants, all who claim they don't remember how they got there. They were asleep at the time. They went to sleep at their home, woke up in the home of somebody else next to a body. Uh, So they're trying to figure it out. Flash over to our protagonist, who is a woman whose job is effectively going into people's dreamscapes and ridding them of their nightmares usually through violent means uh we start to see a web kind of form she has some sort of dark history that she's chasing and it seems to be connected into whoever this sleepwalk killer might be as things progress and certain symbols are found in and out of the dreamscape t what are your thoughts on this one
0: I love this book. I thought this book was super duper cool. It's very cool. Um, I like the art. It's kind of fun, kind of almost a little um, Invader Mm Zim-ish to me. It's got some Scotty
1: Young vibe. I actually, when I got to the first moment in a dreamscape, I flipped to the front to see if it was a Scotty Young. Yeah. Uh, And it's not. It's not.
0: But it's very cool. I like the use of color. I like the use of, it's not like, I wouldn't call it pretty, but I think that is appropriate for the amount of violence that's kind of depicted in this one. Um, I love the main character. She gives off kind of, like, uh, uh, I don't know, th- that, like, standard, like, kind of snarky, um, uh, I'm kinda of the troublemaker and I don't care and I use curse words but also I'm trying to do the right thing type character mm-hmm. that we see kind of a lot in comics right now.
1: She's like a slightly more ADHD Jessica Jones.
0: Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm here for that. I'm always a fan when they bring in a pro tag that feels less like a pro tag and more like an antihero. Like they have their own problems and their own issues, but they're still doing the right thing. Eventually, <laughs> and I always enjoy those characters. I really like the concept of this book, I really like that it's focusing on dreamscapes. We've had a few books recently kind of talking about dreamscapes. We had that book not too long ago where um scientists found out how to like mi- blend the realities between dreamscapes and reality, mm-hmm. and you have to like try to navigate that world and not dream anymore, and so. You know, we've had some dream stuff approaching I think recently. It was like my
1: date with a monster, my date with monsters, or something yeah. like that.
0: We've had we've had a few dream related books mm. recently, and I think that's nice because <clears throat> uh, on a whole, like other than things like a Sandman, uh, on the whole, dreams are kind of a relatively untapped resource when it mm. comes to playing between reality and dreamscape. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of of you know fictional books that have touched on it and and IPs that have touched on dreamscapes. But it's not usually something that's treated as like, oh yeah, we just go into your dreams and do stuff and then we come out and then it's over and it is what it is. It's normally more ethereal than that. So I think kind of giving a very uh, textile, this happens, you go in, like you're going through a door type scenario is neat.
1: It's like Inception if it didn't take itself super seriously. Yeah, exactly. If Inception was less like, What if we did these dreams to try to, like... We went into people's dreams to try to, like, find out secrets about them so that we could blackmail them or rob them. And it was more realistic, in my opinion, and was like, what if we did that, but then when we got there, the dreams were really strange and weird and bizarre and bonkers because that's what dreams are. Like, who dreams that they're just like, hey, I'm going into the office... You know, like, I was really disappointed when they went in, in Inception when they went into a dude's dream and it wasn't like, yep, I'm going into the office, let me sit down at my desk, which is also a unicorn, type on my computer made of waffles. It's like, <laughs> I I feel the ire of Inception fans out there that are like, no, they explain it if you pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason that it works. and i i get it there, there's an architect and stuff i understand i'm just making a joke calm down i don't like inception but for entirely different reasons but anyway yes t
0: um the only other thing i wanted to mention was that this book has big vibes of tim seeley's imaginary fiends mm-hmm. i loved imaginary fiends and so i it was it was in the back of my brain like the character design and, yeah. and like the the behavior of the characters and the attitudes and everything, and it was in the back of my brain, and I was like, "This is reminding me actively of something," and it's act, it, it was, it actively brings up thoughts of imaginary themes, which was an awesome book and kind of plays with like the a dreamscape type scenario because it plays with imaginary friends, but imaginary friends are kind yeah. of bad, but yeah. also can be used for good. Dude, we gotta get them. you
1: read more Tim Seeley.
0: It's true. It's I feel true. like his
1: writing style is exactly like up your alley. It's right up your alley. Maybe lane. you know, they've it's been doing uh hardcover releases of Hackslash. Maybe we could get one of those and I kick started a couple, but I'm not touching them. <laughs> so maybe we can pick up one of the retail versions and Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Do, like, I like
1: a graphic novelties on it.
0: I, I really loved Imaginary Fiends. That's one of those that I like consumed like very rapidly and Mm. was one of those that the minute it came out i actually read it instead of most of my books which i pick up from the store and then stick into a giant pile and then sigh at for 20 minutes before i go and do something else that's not (laughs) reading comics yeah um anybody else am i alone am i the only one um so but this one this one has big Big Imaginary Fiends vibes. And I think if you liked Imaginary Fiends, you will absolutely like this one. And,
1: you know, in addition to its interesting concept, it handles the story really, really well. It's another book that kind of doesn't front load with a lot of exposition or setting up the world. You you They do a really good job visually getting you to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. They don't spend much time explaining it at all. But then they also hint at a lot of character histories. Yep. Like, our main character has a partner who appears to be a zombie, kind of hinting at what his role is. Uh, the main character themselves have, you know, possibly a child that they're looking for to some degree or something. There's a lot of mystery here that's brought up just visually.
0: There's a very creative use of narration. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And and, and omniscience. It plays with reality. Cool. It plays
1: with the fourth wall. It's, it's a really interesting book. And they do a lot of stuff quickly. Like yeah. very they don't bog down a lot of time setting up themes or setting up uh, the world or setting up the physics of the world. They just kind of either in one panel visually, here's how this works, move on. Yep. Or in one bit of narration or one bit of dialogue, just here's what this is, move on. Exactly. And it's it's really well paced. Yes. So it's gonna be a cool book and it's gonna be cool to see how all these characters it seems like it's gonna be one of those books that does a really good job kind of balancing heavier themes with a more tongue-in-cheek approach to this concept of dreams and this universe that it's built. So uh, I think it'd be cool. I, I like this one. Yeah. Keep picking this one up. Next up, we have one that, honestly, I was surprised I liked as much as I did. I'm not usually into Superman stuff, and I'm not usually into Batman Superman stuff. I feel like too often it's just like, Every issue ends with like the power of friendship. <laughs> and it, like, stop. And this one had that, but I'll explain. Um, <laughs> Batman Superman, world's finest number one, written by Mark Wade and Dan Mora. I don't feel like I've read anything from Mark Wade in a while, to be honest. It's been a hot minute. I can't remember the last thing that I did, but maybe I have, and I just haven't been paying attention. But uh, this sees Batman showing up on the scene to stop Poison Ivy and Metropolis. Everyone was confused by that, apparently. <laughs> apparently it's just weird seeing Batman and Robin in uh don't let me forget Robin. That's kind of a running theme of this book, is that it's everyone's true. like just forgetting Robin. <laughs> kind of Not
0: fun. paying attention to Robin.
1: <laughs> but uh Batman and Robin show up to stop Poison Ivy, who's attacking the uh Daily Bugle, sorry planet. And
0: uh <laughs> As they do,
1: (laughs) Superman shows up and is like, so what do we, how do we do this? Do we tear her in half and you take one half and I take the other? (laughs) And, uh, is it like a wishbone? Like, (laughs) what do I do? And then, uh, Metallo shows up and is like, surprise! And injects Superman with some stuff. with, with With a delicious daiquiri of red kryptonite. And Superman starts morphing and changing. And Batman's going off and helping him and we get the doom patrol in there and people keep forgetting Robin and he's emotionally scarred by it. And we get to see like a little flash of Superman helping out Batman with the penguin. And it's established that this is kind of like early ish on in their relationship. Maybe uh, at least the penguin part was, I think this, the, the main story takes place years after the penguin part, but um, and yeah, there's doom patrol and Superman's going through a medical crisis and it was just really well written.
0: Yeah. It was just yeah. kind of,
1: like, refreshing, right?
0: Yeah. It's, what made this so impressive is that it kind of felt like you were just watching an episode of, like, the old school Justice it League did. cartoon. It did. It felt
1: very much like the, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> The old, like, JLA cartoons. Yeah, and and I think it's because... JLU, Justice League Unlimited.
0: Yeah, he did an incredible job almost giving it, like, that subtle Bruce Timm humor. Like, on the front, it's a very traditional-feeling Batman-Superman story where you've got, you know, there's bad guys, and now there's Kryptonite, and now there's, you know, an overarching villain plan, and Mm. they're working together, but... Robin's tone is so unique and like funny and sarcastic and feels so much more modern than everybody else that it has that like that like snarky Bruce Timism. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That like every once in a while, there's those one liners that you're like, I- "I'm a little surprised you just said that." <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay, good for you, Robin.
1: <laughs> it is, and it's just a well written kind of you know, no extra bells and whistles superhero story. I feel like we get so often these days, and this is something that uh, is better better represented in a newsletter that Grant Morrison sent out recently. So if you haven't seen what they have to say about this, go check that out on Twitter. They were specifically talking about DC's handling of Superman. Uh, But they mention a few other kind of, like, general themes of superhero writing that's expected these days. And I feel like the big expectation is that, you know, it has to have some sort of emotional, you know what I mean? Like, there has to be some sort of, like, it's Batman, but, like, what if Batman came up against the grossest serial killer he's ever experienced? Or, like, it's Superman, but what if Superman was suddenly a cannibal and stuff, you know, like it's in this story we're gonna tell the story of the flash but he's actually working for a corrupt medical insurance firm and stuff and it's like
0: superheroes (laughs) either have to be super dark or superhuman.
1: yeah and it's been a while since we've had somebody kind of just take a and then when you have like the mainline superhero books everything's always searching for the next big thing right you know and that's the nature of the game really like Marvel does it, DC does it, even these like offshoot, you know, like the stuff Image is doing right, right. now is kind of doing it, you know what I mean, like Spawn does it, like yep. when you have something that you're like, there's not going to be a definitive end for this character, you know what I mean, like yeah. Spider-Man doesn't have a definitive, definitive end until no. Marvel needs like some big bucks and wants to sell like 1500 variant different variant covers on like (laughs) this is the issue spider-man dies you know but for like two months and then yeah bring it back (laughs) two days later but you don't have like a definitive end for these series so you have to constantly be kind of hyping up the next the next crossover event or the next big story arc you you know you introduce like a new villain and then you don't see him for, like, 15 issues, and then yeah. suddenly it's his time. And you navigate all that around, like, sales and shit. Like, it's all a, a company thing. very
0: Thanos of him. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> so it feels very, like, in, in the normal comics, even though they're just kind of normal, bare-bones superhero stuff at times, right. it always feels like it's just leading to the next thing. You're always looking for, like, the signposts of what's coming next. Yeah. This just feels like it's a day in the life of super people yeah it just feels like its own thing like you said it feels like you know great point it feels like just an episode of like the justice league or justice league unlimited you know and And it's it's just a refreshing kind of straightforward superhero book
0: i mean and not to be whatever but sometimes it gets really complicated when you've got these books that do like crossovers because if you're in the main continuity you have to remember like Okay, well, Batman's currently dealing with this otherworldly creature that's trying to manipulate his mental state at the same time as this other, like, magic user came from the past and is having weird conversations with superman Mm -hmm. and like you have to remember all this crap that's canon right now yeah you know what i mean like when you're in main continuity there's so much that's canon in every given moment that's like playing on every factor and that's that's fun like we appreciate that that's good i like that you're always like you said building toward the next thing and like they've got their own stuff happening in their books and that's gonna reflect when they do crossover things and that's gonna have the yeah but like this was none of that. This was just, hey, you know all the normal stuff you think of when you think of Batman. That's Batman, and all the normal stuff you think of when you think of Superman. That's Superman. Yeah. Like in this, Lois doesn't even know Clark is soups. Yeah, that's so nice.
1: <laughs> and it's it's you know it's hard in these big sweeping superhero worlds to take a superhero story that's really rooted in the main continuity and make it isolated enough to where you can really focus on the traits of the individual character's character as well as their how like what sort of their interaction right you know and really like deconstruct that and break that down and get something out of it right it's hard when you have this sweeping world to have them experience something and then you have to take kind of time to explain why like oh you know daredevils in new york and there's like he's in this building and this bad guy just blew up the building and now he's having to figure out how to get people out why aren't the avengers here okay i gotta take like a a little bit of throwaway dialogue to explain why the avengers aren't helping me with this you know what i mean like same thing with this like okay superman's you know messed up and has been injected with red kryptonite and is freaking out why why doesn't the whole justice league just come down and help You know, and Batman does eventually call the Doom Patrol, but it's nice because we've, we've not established in this world that they would be able to call any of these people. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's just, it's left closed. So, like, there's no, like... We don't have Batman, like, talking to the Flash on his iPhone on his way to go arrest Poison Ivy, being like, oh, Flash, I gotta let you go. Have fun in Bali. Click. And then, you know what I mean? Right. It's, we don't even know where those characters are. So we're able to just have this isolated kind of bottle episode of Batman and Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's going to be very ground level, which is cool. Yep. Because I feel like oftentimes when it's Batman and Superman, it's like, well, we're taking our two greatest superheroes, so send them to space or like <laughs> make them fight robots and stuff. It's like, this bad guy has an army of blank and he wants to blank the blank. And then you just mad libs it yeah. and fill it in. Fill in um, those holes. But this seems like it's going to be very much focused on them and their interaction and their friendship. Which is cool. I know I dunked on the, like, power of friendship thing, but that's because, personally, a lot of the Batman-Superman stories I read are them fighting these big armies of things and then being like, we can do it if we work together! And then they, like, high-five and they win the day. You know what I mean? When this seems like it's going to be more broken down, And Mm -hmm. more specifically focused just on them wanting to help each other. Yeah. And wanting to, even more than that, it's them wanting to trust each other. Yeah. And wanting to...
0: Nurturing a burgeoning relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wanting to navigate the difficulties of knowing that the greatest detective is this person. And the most powerful person in the world is this person. And you know them at a personal level. How do you navigate that? Yeah. And also keep your day job, you know? Exactly. And I uh I think that's cool. I like that. You know?
0: It was well done. It was very well done. I think this is gonna be a cool one.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely gonna keep picking this one up, which is weird for me. I don't usually get in on these like kind of just normal superhero, like flagship superhero books, you know what I mean? So this will be this will be fun. I'm excited. Good it's job. An Mark adventure. It's it's cool. <laughs> I like that it's just like Batman sitting at superman's bedside feeding him chicken noodle soup yeah you know what, what i mean cute. it's just it's nice finally we're going to talk about playthings. Playthings number one this is from scouts black caravan imprint uh it was written by john clark with art by travis williamson uh the solicitation for this basically says that a uh woman wakes up in a room smelling of candy surrounded by toys and has to figure out how she got there that's basically it We see a woman waking up in her underwear tied to a chair with licorice in a room that reeks of candy, and she's surrounded by possibly living toys. (laughs) We then see kind of a flashback of how she got there. She's in a contentious relationship with her ex. She's not the best at knocking it out of the park in the mom department, uh, but (laughs) she's doing her darned best. But things get complicated when her daughter finds a box with her name on it. And I guess the daughter's birthday party is the following day. Uh, She finds a box with her name on it. Inside the box is a very creepy clown doll. And stuff gets creepier from there. If you've seen any sort of doll-related horror thing, you pretty much can guess how it's going to go from this point on. T, what are your thoughts? I,
0: okay. Okay. So some notes. <laughs> I love love the plot of this book feels like a very traditional horror movie. It's paced like a very traditional horror movie. Like I always love a good creepy doll. I always love creepy toys. They're all very creepy and they make me uncomfy and I don't sleepy so good at night. I love it. I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. Check. I both simultaneously love and hate the art of this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is very cool. It it's looks very really cool. Very yeah. stylized. It does a great job of making the book very creepy. However, I am also a very fast-paced consumer, and I blame it on my neurodivergencies, but this one forced me to slow down because I had to, like really analyze what's going on in each bit of art to know what's actually going on in the story. Mm-hmm. They leave a lot of the pacing and the storytelling to the art, which is great. you guys know I I hate an, a written exposition so just tell me stuff and move on. I love that I appreciate that depicts things in the art. But the art is very like because it's so stylized, there's like instances where things are very dark and like there's it's kind of like, uh, 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 what's a good word? Um, abstract mm. at exactly what you're looking at, and so I had to sit there and like, okay, hold on, what's ha What happened in this panel that I missed that is now affecting this panel? And so I had to really take my time with this book. Not that that's a bad thing, but as someone who as a as I said is a very like ferocious paced comic book reader having to like slow down and actually like think about what i'm looking at to know exactly what i'm looking at i was like damn it just move on (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: fair that's valid it is a very stylized uh stylized art form travis william williamson has a very specific art form you see it in another book of his that we talked about on the show called black friday you see the same sort of kind of at times cartoonish, at times abstract, like quasi-painted feeling type art. Um, Almost
0: kind of like sketchy, like...
1: Yeah, yeah. The coloring in this one also adds a little bit to it because it's super bright at times. It yeah. really transitions from like bright to dark to bright to dark yeah. really, really fast. Uh, but this book is cool. cool. If you're it's a B-horror cool. movie fan, a fan of movies like Child's Play and... Um, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of doll, Annabelle movie and stuff like that. Uh, this will be your cup of tea. I think I'm more interested in this book depending on where it goes from here. Mm -hmm. If the next few issues are just kind of a torture porn of this, like, struggling single mom trying to, like, get out of this place and just getting, Mm -hmm. like, ravaged the whole time, then I'm not going to be as interested. Into it, I think they have a really good opportunity to tell a really cool horror story of this woman being really strong and, like, surviving and pushing through it, you know, despite the odds, and, like, getting herself out of here and rescuing her daughter and kind of, like, you know, maybe discovering something important along the way. Like, I think they have an opportunity to do that. The danger is, with horror writers, you never truly know, and I don't think this book gave us enough... To know what direction it's going to go, I think it has a good direction so far, but it could turn into a book that's just about like, hey, what if we locked this woman into a room in her underwear and then like hurt her in different ways consistently, and that was going to be the entertainment? And that's just not that's not yeah good horror writing. So the other we'll see thing, how it goes
0: that could be come out of this is that maybe this isn't going to focus explicitly on them the whole time. Um, they kind of allude to the other toys in the box mm. and they also kind of allude that maybe she is being turned into a toy.
1: Ooh. I Yeah, and I'd be fine with that to an extent. Almost I making don't... it
0: like a mild anthology-esque yeah, type I mean, situation. It's
1: common for horror stories, books, movies, whatever, episodes of shows, to open with kind of a throwaway death. Yeah, um, but we don't often get a solid background on
0: the person who the just person died. who's yeah.
1: being murked in the beginning to establish the danger because that's right. what it is. It's like you know, if you have a slasher film, you have people unrelated, unless you're Drew Barrymore's character in Scream. You often have people <laughs> unrelated to everything going on, right? Being like the first. So, like, say it's a camp-based slasher movie you won't necessarily have like campers. You'll have like some random hiker and his dog out in the woods. And then he'll be like, <gasps> and like hear or, like, a, noise. a janitor. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And then they get murked so that you can set the, set the tone set that tension. for what the danger is. Right. I'm fine with that. If they wanted to do that, with her but then we shouldn't have gotten background because i feel like the background then only serves the purpose of being like she deserves to die because she's a bad mom she's not a bad mom no she's a mom dealing with a lot of stuff yeah dealing with a history and just trying to make the best out of what she can yeah, and we true. don't know all of her deep like if we saw her actively like slapping the shit out of her kid then fine that would knock be a problem out. But we don't see that. We see her being a little bit aggressive with her kid, but because of what's happening with this doll.
0: And, you, and it because makes sense. Because of the sense. mental torment
1: that's happening with maybe, this doll.
0: Maybe it'll be like a focus on different characters for like a few. Like another way they could do it is like each yeah. one is like a different character focus. And then at the end, it's how they're all together. Well, yeah. And, you know, what I was going to say out. is
1: I'm down with that idea. If it's like we move on to other characters and the kind of like assumption is that she died or got turned into a doll or whatever. And then later on, she rejoins the main cast. Yeah. And it's like a catalyst to progressing yeah. out of there. Exactly. Even at that point, then, even if she is unalived in the process. Yeah. It would still be a good use of a character. Right. In I In that it gives her kind of a redemptive moment to be more than just like. Look, you got divorced. I guess you're a piece of crap, and it's like, <laughs> so I, I I I like this book. I like the art. I like the premise. I'm always down for like a B horror movie kind of feel and vibe in a right. book. Uh, but they're gonna have to win me over with issue two. I because agree with if that. it if it just turns into like a mindless slaughter fest with no real purpose then I'm just not down for that.
0: And admittedly, there have been a few of those that have come out recently yeah. that have just been mindless slaughter fests and Chris and I have actively put our foot down and been like, we're not talking about these on the podcast. Yeah.
1: I mean, heck, there's been some... I can't think of a specific, but I know there's at least one or two that we talked about the first issue on a podcast and then it turned into that as it went on. So I'm taking more of a reserved look at this <laughs> yeah, and saying I like how it's set up and I like the potential for where the story can go. yeah. But it does also have the potential to go in a very boring way. And I don't, I hope it doesn't.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: I think it could be a real solid winner if it goes the correct direction. But if it takes a dive that a lot of horror movies and horror books horror tend fiction. to, uh, then, uh, you know, it'll just be another one to like be like, ah, darn, and put away and never think about ever again. Exactly. So. 100%. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. Yes. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would like more episodes of Cover B, you can find them at CoverBeePodcast.com.
0: That's right. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoverBeePodcast. Yep.
1: I hope everybody has a good weekend. Uh, as always, I have been a quirked up white boy. <laughs> this has been T. Yes,
0: yeah, me. <laughs> and- <laughs>
1: And you have been listening to Cover Cover Beat. Beat.
0: Bye, everybody.